The following episode can be viewed on the YouTube channel Bernie or Bust Television. Good morning, USA, and welcome to another episode of the Bernie or Bust Show. There have been a lot of calls of late for us pundits to watch our tone, not just the infamous ones like me, I should say, not famous, but people like Kyle Kalinske, Crystal Ball, Jimmy Dore, Lee Camp, and on and on. And not only the pundits, but also the politicians. They've been calling on Bernie to watch his tone as well. And people in Bernie's camp, such as David Sirota and Zephyr Truthout, all being called on to watch their tone. It's all a big trick, people. And we shouldn't watch our tone. We shouldn't be required to dilute our message simply because we're saying things they don't want to hear. We'll be kind, we'll be loving, but we'll be blunt and we'll be direct as well. Here's a great article by Megan Day, our future president, I hope, from Jacobin Magazine. Joe Biden's checkered ethical history is fair game for criticism. In 2008, Democratic nomination contenders Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton tore each other to shreds. Some of it was political and substantive, while some of it was personal and slimy, but none of it would be considered civil by the standards now being applied to today's Democratic primary. It's not a coincidence that the right flank of the party started finger-wagging about divisiveness, incivility, and disunity precisely when the left flank began to seriously threaten its dominance. As the left wing gains momentum, the party establishment's tolerance for legitimate criticism wears thinner, and the range of topics considered off-limits or below the belt expands. New behavioral norms have appeared out of thin air. Suddenly, political criticisms of opponents, no matter how legitimate by traditional standards, are a bridge too far and are even alleged to help Donald Trump, at least if the criticisms are flying from left to right. It should be obvious that all the scolding about divisiveness is merely a reflexive defense mechanism, an easier task for centrists than defending their politics on its merits. It deserves little more consideration than that. But if we do decide to subject closer scrutiny the idea that criticism in a primary imperils the winner's prospects in the general election, we find that it quickly falls apart. To make informed decisions about who to nominate for the general election, the electorate should be able to get a good look at the candidates, warts and all. While there's little value in personal smears and ugly innuendo, vetting candidates' records and histories is indispensable. General elections are gloves-off affairs. Vicious attacks are guaranteed. You don't want to end up in a situation where you're asking millions of people to defend a candidate against a charge that everyone knows deep down is indefensible. Therefore, it's best to air dirty laundry during the primary and let voters decide what they can tolerate in a general election. That's why Bernie Sanders had nothing to apologize for this week when his senior campaign advisor, David Sirota, sent an email to campaign supporters promoting an op-ed written by campaign surrogate Zephyr Teachout. The op-ed was titled, Middle Class Joe Biden Has a Corruption Problem. It Makes Him a Weak Candidate. Law professor Teachout has made her name running for office against self-interested politicians and is the author of the book Corruption in America. This is her wheelhouse. Biden, she wrote, has perfected the art of taking big contributions then representing his corporate donors at the cost of middle and working class Americans. Converting campaign contributions into legislative favors and policy positions isn't being moderate, 
It is the kind of transactional politics Americans have come to loathe. Biden and his campaign took umbrage at Sirota's promotion of the op-ed and promptly launched into the unity and civility routine. Various liberal pundits piled on, calling it a bad look for Sanders. To the dismay of many of his supporters, Sanders apologized to Biden. It turned out the apology may have been a bait and switch. Later that evening, the Sanders campaign published an ad eviscerating Biden's record on Social Security. But politicking aside, the truth remains that Biden's political history is checkered with ethical gray areas, even if many pertain to actions that are perfectly legal, and that this will be a massive liability for him in the general election. The points Teachout raised in her op-ed should give everybody who wants to beat Trump pause about the viability of a Biden campaign. You see, Democratic candidates might be able to browbeat each other into retracting criticisms by histrionically taking offense, but that won't work on Trump. In fact, if he's smart, he's watching right now to see what makes candidates the most squeamish, what they're most sensitive about, what they're least equipped to explain. Whatever topic makes a candidate the most uncomfortable is what Trump will likely zero in on in the general election. It's not airing criticism that gives future opponents ideas for lines of attack. It's panicking, evading, or otherwise failing to coolly respond to them. So she goes on and explains that Biden is very vulnerable when it comes to his son Hunter in the Ukraine, and she says that Trump will exploit this weakness. We know Trump has been planning to attack Biden on this issue for ages. In fact, that acute interest in this subject is what started the whole chain of events, culminating in the current impeachment proceedings. And once impeachment fails and Trump is acquitted, it will be easier than ever for him to press the case that Biden is a shady character. I'll let you read the rest of the article regarding Biden's weaknesses, but suffice it to say that we need to stop watching our tone. We need to stop appeasing the centrists who want us to watch our tone. We need to keep relentlessly telling the truth about the corruption, about the neoliberal sock puppets, about how they're not going to represent the interests of we, the people. My take on all this tone policing is that we're being told to watch our tone so that we won't be as powerful when it comes to talking about populism. Populism appeals to both the right and the left. There are right populists and left populists. So if the populists start comparing notes and realizing that they have a lot in common, that would totally undermine the traditional power base of the neoliberal Democratic National Committee. That's the problem. So they're telling us to watch our tone anytime we start to sound like populists on the other side of the aisle because they know as soon as we start figuring out that we have a lot in common, we're gonna to topple them, we're gonna come right at them. Crystal Ball and Sagar and Jetty of The Hill Rising have been comparing notes across the aisle this way since they started their show. And it's interesting to hear from Crystal how populism can work from both sides of the political aisle to overthrow the neoliberal corporate sock puppets in the middle. That's exactly how I think about it. And you're right, there are many definitions of that word and there are many connotations, both positive and negative to that word. By populist, what I mean, especially as someone on the populist left, is number one, that it's a politics put, that puts the working class at the center, that caters to their interests rather than the interests of the professional managerial class or any other class, which I think is where the Democratic Party has drifted. And to the contrary of this idea that populism is reactionary or authoritarian, you know, the left populism that I celebrate is actually rooted in a 
faith in democracy, a faith in the voters to make their own choices and their own decisions. Um, Example of this to make it more concrete uh, that we talk about in the book is when Bernie Sanders was elected mayor of Burlington, and I'm sure you probably know all this history, he was completely opposed by both parties. Sounds familiar, right? And so he gets into office, shocking victory, really narrow, barely wins by the skin of his teeth. And so what are the Democrats and Republicans who still control the city council, they call it the Board of Aldermen, what do they decide to do? Well, we're just going to stonewall him at every turn. We're not going to let him get any of his appointments. We're not going to let him get anything done. People will say, oh, the socialists can't govern, and then they'll kick him out, and we can get back to business as usual. So what did he do? In response, he went to the people. Not only did he have an unprecedented media operation, outreach operation, but he literally formed these neighborhood councils. Since he didn't have his own government officials, he formed these neighborhood councils that had their own budgets that could make their own decisions for what their community needed specifically and could allocate funds for those. That's the type of populism that I believe in that actually has faith in the grassroots. You're not having a strong man on top saying, this is how things are going to be and trust me and I'll fix it all. On the left, the populism I believe in actually puts their trust in the people and says, we're going to do this together. We have faith and we believe in you to make decisions for this country, not a sort of, you know, anointed elite, which is the direction that the Democratic Party has been going in for so long and which, look, I don't want to be derisive, but which is sort of fundamentally embodied by the Elizabeth Warren or the Pete Buttigieg model of let's get the experts in a room, let's craft the white papers and we are going to fix this for you rather than we're all in this together and we're going to figure this out from the ground up. And that populism is dangerous. When Crystal and Sagar, a lefty and a righty, agree on things and the people they represent agree on things, country people and city people, realizing that the working class poor are all in this together and the solutions that help one side will help the other side and there really are no sides, that's dangerous. That's where Crystal is going. That's where Megan Day of Jacobin Magazine is going. That's where Kyle Kalinske sometimes seems to be going. And even David Dole seems to be going. This idea that populism can reach across the aisle. And that makes people nervous. It makes them want us to watch our tone. As soon as we sound like each other, they want to call names and they want to get us to stop that right now. We were jumping on Kurt Bardella the other day, NBC, and he was saying that the Bernie bros are really picking on him and making him upset on Twitter. And Kyle Kalinske has an idea about that. And uh, he used to work for Breitbart, and he went on MSNBC to cry about evil Bernie bros and how they're so similar to MAGA people. Piece, uh, you talk about the Twitter Bernie bros uh, and say that they actually have a lot in common with President Trump's uh, army of online uh, supporters, the MAGA, the MAGA group there. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about, first of all, explain to us who the Bernie bros are uh, and why are you making this comparison? 
Well, the Bring Boat Bros first came along in the 2016 campaign, and they seemed to be the uh, vocal, kind of almost mob-like, die-hard, cult-like following of Bernie Sanders. Now, I should be clear, Bernie Sanders has, has throughout the campaign in 2016, uh, decried some of the tactics they used on social media, the bullying and the, and the targeting primarily of people of color, women, uh, who disagree with, with Senator Sanders' platform. But one of the things that I've experienced firsthand is when, when I've come on this very program and have raised valid concerns about Senator Sanders and, and his viability, immediately the Twitter sphere, the Bernie bros, go hardcore attack mode. And, and the traits and the words and the rhetoric that they use, the only thing I've ever seen close to that is what MAGA people do, what the Trump voters do. And I think that it's a very dangerous and disturbing uh, trend to see, uh, particularly when Democrats are trying to show that there is a better way than what we've seen from Trump, better than the divisiveness and the use of fear and hatred and extremism to try to scare people into a particular ideology. We have to be a Democratic Party that's okay with honest disagreements, that's okay with raising valid concerns and valid questions. I would like to think that Senator Sanders himself wants that for the Democratic Party, but some of his most ardent and hardcore supporters are taking some very, I think, dangerous rhetorical measures. And I think that Senator Sanders in the long run is going to need to be a little bit more vocal about calling that out and condemning that. Yeah, no, he doesn't. And no. <laughs> uh, you guys are absurd. So <laughs> let's dive into this. First of all, guys, the game is rigged. And here's what I mean by that. People get to say anything they want about Bernie Sanders and his supporters. They get to be as vituperative as they want. They get to be as negative as they want. They get to say throw any smear against the wall, straw man his policy positions. It doesn't matter. They can say anything they want. And if you respond, no, 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 you're not allowed to respond. If you say anything in response, ah, Bernie bro, Bernie bro. Oh my God, with this broness. Oh, you're so like MAGA people. Ah, Bernie bro. So you see how the game is rigged? The game is rigged because they can say anything. And if you respond to what they say, then, you know, you're out of bounds. By definition, you're immediately out of bounds for responding to it. Well, then, you know, I submit to these people. What should Bernie supporters say when his record is being mischaracterized, he's being strawmanned, there's unfair characterizations of him? What should they do? Then there's just the flat-out lies. They're, they're bullying and targeting people of color and women. Not a single group of Bernie supporters has ever in the history of Bernie supporters existing, targeted women and people of color. That's never happened. You know what You know what uh, Bernie supporters do? If they see somebody saying something dumb, saying something untrue, smearing their guy, lying, whatever it might be, they'll go after them. Do, do you think there's they stop to do like a skin color check? That there's like a committee of Bernie voters who are like, you know, we could go after this gentleman over here, but... He's a white man and he's 53 years old. Hold our fire, because usually, you know, we're kinder to the white men. But over here, we got a person of color, a young woman. All systems go, unleash the hounds. I mean, like, it's, it's comical. It's comical is what it is. But see, again, I want to say it again. When they have nothing on Bernie, they have to make these fake scandals. And one of the, the wells that they keep going to is... And this is the implication. The implication is he's an old white guy. Therefore, he has to have some sort of retrograde social beliefs. And he has to be unwoke to a point where we could use it against him. And so that's why they have all these scandals that they make. Up. Oh, my God. Bernie said a woman can't win. 
There's videos of him in 1987, before I was born, bro, saying, I think a woman can win, and I think uh, things are changing, but not fast enough. That guy, behind, the, behind closed doors, is like, you know, you know, toots, I don't think these women got to cut out. I don't think they're cut out for the big leagues. That's not happening. Come on, man. It's just, it's so over the top, and it's so silly. Um, and then, guys, what these fake journalists fear is accountability. That's the thing. It's like the thing that's beautiful about Twitter is that it has democratized democratized the public square. So everybody has a voice now. Now, don't get me. Are there downsides? That's sure. Are there instances of like genuine harassment and creepy stuff? Absolutely. I mean, that's it's human nature that some people you get a, a big enough group of people. Some people are going to be bad apples. That happens, of course. But listen. The overwhelming majority of the time, and with most people, you're just, now everybody has a voice and they can respond to what you're doing. And back in the day, in the 1990s, if there's a smear article written about a good, uh, you know, candidate, there's no response to that. People just are force-fed the propaganda and they just have to deal with it. And the media can lie and misstate and do whatever, and you just got to take it. And there's no avenue to respond. Well, now there is an avenue to respond. And you got people out there who 500,000 medical bankruptcies every single year, 7 million people losing their health insurance, wages still stagnant. The list goes on and on. And now all these people have a voice. And when you go after the candidate who's trying to fix those problems, they're going to be mad at you. And they're going to say, no, 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 you're not stating that correctly. What you're saying here is wrong. And, and these guys look at it and they're, they're shocked and they're offended that everybody has a voice now. And they're... They used to be able to say whatever they wanted with no accountability, and now they say stuff, and there's accountability, and they, they it feels like oppression to them. It feels like oppression to them when people respond to their nonsense. As my friend Jimmy Dore says, you wonder why people get their news from YouTube. Now, guys, I'm not, like, I don't think of myself as a journalist, as a reporter. I'm not. I'm just a dude. But, like, just saying basic things <laughs> all of a sudden makes me, like, like people want to watch the show. Why? Because I'm not BSing them. That's the only reason. Like, the the one thing this show has is, I am not bullshitting you. I'm telling you exactly what I think. And that's, people are like, oh my god, revolutionary. <laughs> is it? Is it revolution? Apparently it is in this media environment, because this is what they're doing on mainstream media. <laughs> people were mean in my mentions. <laughs> whoop de doo People are dying because they don't have health care. I think that's more important. We made fun of the same guy on The Bob Show, Bernie or Bust, episode 200. Should Bernie bros watch their tone? And the points are really important that Megan Day made and that Kyle just made, that we shouldn't have to watch our tone if we're telling the truth. The point I want to make, in addition to what Kyle said, is when you have Bernie supporters and Trump supporters sounding similar to each other, it's sometimes because they have similar needs and interests. And if they find that out, Kyle makes fun of of MAGA supporters more perhaps than he should. There are lots of Trump supporters who also think Bernie has important things to say. And so rather than look at everyone like they're a basket of deplorables if they're on the right, that's the mistake that Crystal and Sagar don't make. And so when they talk about populism, they're thinking about it on both sides of the aisle more perhaps than Kyle is. And so I, I want to keep riding that wave of populism, whether it's right or left, 
right into the White House with Bernie Sanders. He speaks to both sides and you have to admit it. There are, I know truck drivers, this is anecdotal, but I know quite a few truck drivers who understand that Bernie is saying things a lot like Trump was saying it. And so what it comes down to is, will Bernie deliver on his promises? And the main difference, if you're looking at it from the right, is that Bernie thinks in terms of labor and protests. So he has more muscle behind his movement than Trump does. So if you're a Trump supporter and you're thinking, well, maybe Trump didn't deliver on his promises to drain the swamp or, or on trade agreements or whatever it is that's hurting you economically, think about Bernie from the angle of labor and protesting. And maybe Bernie's got more muscle behind his ideas and may be better situated to deliver on the promises he's making. Adrian for Bernie doesn't come right out and say it, but I think this man she's describing might have been a Trump supporter, might have been a Republican. You decide for yourself. A man came into our office last week saying he wanted to vote for Bernie because of what Bernie said on Joe Rogan's show about the power of the pharmaceutical industry. He wasn't registered, so I told him where to go and what to do, and that, folks, is how we win. Again, this idea that we're reaching across the aisle. Some people are frustrated that Joe Rogan is endorsing Bernie. They're like, well, Joe Rogan, he's had people on his show that definitely don't endorse Bernie. Joe Rogan has a very interesting assortment of guests on his show, and that doesn't mean that he can't enjoy Bernie on his show and really support what Bernie is trying to do. And I think he does. It's like Tulsi supporters who, who also could vote for Trump or just be Republicans. It, we're, we're getting this wrong. The tone police are condescending sometimes, and the tone police are, are making it difficult for Bernie support to reach across the aisle to the right. We need to stop doing this. In my ongoing conversations with Victor Tiffany, the co-founder of Revolt Against Plutocracy and the OG of the Bernie or Bust movement, we keep wondering why pundits like Kyle Kalinske and Crystal Ball and Jimmy Dore won't cover the Bernie or Trump, Bernie or Bust movement this time, even though they came out openly and professed it last time. Some of them did. I don't think Kyle did. So the question remains, why won't lefty pundits cover Bernie or Bust slash Bernie or Trump? And this is my idea. I think it's all about appeasement. It's not a strategic decision on the part of the leftist not to talk about it. It's more that they're caving into pressure. This pressure that Megan Day is talking about not to honor Zephyr Truthout's expertise in the area of corruption when it comes to calling out Joe Biden. This is similar to Hillary Clinton's tactics to get people to watch their tone, calling people names, Bernie bros and so on, to get them to soften their attacks. I think when this happens, we need to punch harder. That's kind of what Kyle was saying. And I think that all of us need to hear these criticisms, realize where they're coming from, and then punch harder. The centrist Dems are able to put a lot of pressure on the more radical lefty pundits and politicians to be civilized. That's why Bernie did the unity march with the billionaires and their cronies on Martin Luther King Day. The leverage movement best represented by Bernie or bust, Bernie or Trump supporters is both grubby in terms of class and uncivilized because it makes demands instead of requests. Anyone who has a big enough voice to be heard, the people who are the thought leaders, who have talent agents, those people, anyone who has a big enough voice to be heard probably has had to make some concessions to the Pelosi-type calls for civility. 
It's deeply ingrained in DC culture, and that's why truly independent news sources are probably not going to be heard. The bigger their voices get, the more likely they are to feel pressure to appease their more acceptable colleagues, not to mention those who control their colleagues, who pull their strings. Kyle was talking about the fact that people watch his show because he's not on those strings, but I would like to see a little more proof of that, Kyle. I would like to see you talk about the Bernie or Bust movement, but even more, I'd like to see you cover the Bernie or Trump supporters who took the election away from Hillary last time and gave it to Trump and will take it away from Biden or Warren this time and give it to Trump. I don't know why you're not covering that unless you feel some of the same pressure. You're laughing at the people who call for civility. You're laughing at the tone police, and yet you yourself are not willing to cover the Bernie or Bust movement or the Bernie or Trump phenomenon. And, and I'd like to see that change. Get on board the Bernie or Bust train. Come get on board the Bernie or Bust train. Once you hear that clickety-clack, there ain't no time for turning back. Get on board the Bernie or Bust train. The preceding episode can be viewed on the YouTube channel Bernie or Bust Television.